Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough. And on this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, we have got lots up. We've got food safety recalls and what that means. We have got one-minute cooking tips. We've got an interview with a cookbook legend, Dory Greenspan, and even more. So how are we starting? We are starting with food safety recalls. Now, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you know that we had one a few weeks ago where we talked about oysters in the news. And it's not always sexy to talk about problems with food in the food chain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not in the least, least, but Mark and I think it's really important to pay attention to food safety recalls. Okay, so here's the thing. In July of this year, and we are recording this in the United States, we're United States citizens. So what I'm talking about is U.S. stuff here. In the United States this year, there were already by July 17 USDA food recalls. And these included all kinds of things like 300 thousand pounds of ground beef kimchi chicken salad and mm, this one just pains me to even talk about frank's red hot buffalo (laughs) (laughs) oh come on frank's red hot buffalo well here's the thing some of these recalls are because of serious issues right you can possible listeria or salmonella but some recalls are less serious like there was a dried apricot recall Mm. Because the a packager did not declare the sulfites on the label. So while we're on this, let's talk about what a food co- recall really means and who all does the recalling. So what what does it mean and who does it? Well, the food recall is the job of the Food Safety and Inspection Services. In the United States. In the, which is within the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA. These are the people that inspect and regulate meat, poultry, processed eggs, and there's uh, like one of them left, right? Or two, maybe <laughs> two, 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 two inspectors. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's very sad. But and these are the people, the FSIS, the Food Safety Inspection Service, that is responsible for ensuring that all this food we eat is safe, it's wholesome, and it's accurately labeled. Now, here's what's interesting. All food recalls are first voluntary and then mandatory. So what happens is the FSIS decides in the U.S. that something needs to be recalled. They then give the manufacturer the chance on their own to recall the product or the food. And if they don't do it, then the FSIS through the USDA can make it happen mandatorily. It's only happened mandatorily once. Yep. But still, nonetheless, it is first voluntary, and then it becomes mandatory. And the FSIS also has the authority to detain and seize these products. So that's if, if by making it mandatory, it means they're going to actually just go and take it. They're going to take it back from the stores. They're going to just, and it's that's a real bad PR problem, which is why most people do it voluntarily. That's right. So some of the things that have been recalled this year, so far, just this year, just are, this month, yeah. Just this month, in fact, are like Circle K chicken salad sandwiches, 5,000 Year Foods kimchi, Bright Farms salad greens, Bright uh, Backcountry Roads dried apricots, which I think we already talked yeah, about. Yeah, that's only because they didn't declare there were sulfites. Those weren't going to make you sick. That's right. McCormick and Frank's stuff, oh, red hot buffalo, and some ranch seasoning. Oh, mm. Bright Farms baby spinach. Bright Farms has got problems. <laughs> and Cahill's cheddar cheese. These things were all recalled for various 
various reasons, uh, like the Cahill Farm was a possible hysteria outbreak. So these things are recalled for various reasons. And I know this sounds scary, but there's actually a solution to this. And we want to give you the solution. Well, yeah, there is a solution. First of all, the solution is pay attention. You have to, you know, if, you, you if you're not paying attention, you're not a, no, what's the phrase that our friends say? If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. That's, that's the phrase. <laughs> However, that does us no good. So what? how do you do it if you're a U.S. citizen? Okay, so you can stay on top of what's being recalled by going to the FSIS website, which is www.fsis.usda.gov. And you can subscribe to their newsletter and you will get warnings in your email about food that's being recalled and what yeah. you could do about yeah. that. Yeah. Or you can go to the USDA website, which is askusda.gov. I guess that's the main website. That's a subsite, right? Askusda.gov. Yep. And there's a whole knowledge base. You could do a live chat during hotline hours. You can ask a question and you could find out all about what's happening. And it's important to know that there are different levels of food recalls, right? There, so there are like the class three is the lowest. The, it's you'd think that the numbers will get worse as it goes up, but it doesn't. Class three is where you know eating a food won't cause adverse health consequences. So that would be like the apricots and sulfites, unless of course you were allergic to sulfites, but that's another story. Yeah. Okay. So this all sounds dire, and it's not meant to sound dire. It's meant to say that you should be responsible for what happens to you. You should check out your local government if you don't live in the United States. If you're listening to this from Canada, the UK, Europe. India, you should check out your own local governments for what they do in terms of food recalls. And you should also always be in charge of your own actions. In the U.S., you can do this, as Bruce says, through uh, fsis.usda.gov and signing up for their newsletter and getting the alerts. Or you can do it in other ways by just checking their website. Please be responsible at what you eat. There's no call for eating something that will make you sick. I want to add one more thing to that. If you've find that something's been recalled that you bought, the USDA tells you to throw it out. But what you can do is you can go back to the store where you bought it and Always. they will give you a credit. They will return Always. your money. So you can you could bring your receipt. If you say, if you haven't saved your receipt, it might be a problem, but that's a good reason to save receipts. But go back to your store, get your money back. I always think, actually, before we end this segment, that you should always consider taking things back to the store. Um, we talked about in the last episode of this podcast, we talked about using flavorful oils like fragrant olive oils and nut oils and that kind of stuff in our one minute cooking tip. Those oils go more rancid than highly processed tasteless oils. If you open a bottle and it's rancid, take it back. Take it right back to the supermarket. Don't spend money and then throw it out, for gosh sake. Get your money back. Get your money back. The only time, here's where I'm going to disagree with Mark, the only time where I think you don't have a right to bring it back is with fruit. Because as they said on Seinfeld, fruit's a gamble. You know that going in. Okay, yes, that's true. Fruit is a bit of a gamble. But I can remember the time that Bruce opened a package of lamb shanks fresh from the store, and they smelled like zebra. They smelled like the zebra pen at the zoo. And he took it straight back to the store. And what did the guy at the store tell me? He said, I don't want that. I'm just going to give you money back. Just bring me the receipt. I don't want to see those things. Yeah, he said, don't bring me the food next time. Just bring me the receipt and tell me it was bad. Yeah, and that Bruce was speaking to the butcher at the supermarket so just again remember always save your own food dollars make sure they're spent well and keep apprised of your local government's regulations and recalls at all times because the global food landscape can be scary it can also be fantastic 
before we get to the next segment on Cooking with Bruce and Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and come to Facebook to our group Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Everybody's there. We'll have fun. We'll have a conversation. We'll talk about food. We'll talk about recipes. So subscribe, come to Facebook, and now let's move on to segment two. This is our one-minute cooking tip, and we always do this to give you a little tiny cooking tip in one minute, and we're going to try to do it in one minute. And what's up today? Use your hands. No, I'm going to change that. Use your clean hands, <laughs> not your hands, but please go on. Your hands are the most versatile kitchen tool you have. They will dress a salad better than tongs. They will mix together the meat better than a wooden spoon for meatballs and meatloaf. They'll get the seeds out of a cantaloupe better than a spoon can. And if it grosses you out, just buy some surgical gloves at the pharmacy and go to it. And always clean your hands. Even if you put the surgical gloves on, part of the glove can slip down below your palm. Clean your hands. But Bruce is right. If I watch him, when I watch him cook, he's always got his hands in food. And I know some people gross out by this, but honestly, don't pick up a chicken breast with tongs. Really clean your hands and then coat the chicken breast and then get them all coated and wash your hands again. Clean hands, but use them. Okay, up next, Bruce's interview with the legendary Dory Greenspan. I can't wait to hear this. We're talking with Dory Greenspan. She is a legend in the cookbook world. Her 14 cookbooks include Dory's Cookies, the New York Times bestsellers Baking Chez Moi and Around My French Table. She has won five James Beards and awarded an Order of Agricultural Merit from the French government for her outstanding writing on the foods of that country, which is where she lives when she's not in New York City or Connecticut. Her new book is Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple, out in October. Dory, welcome to Cooking with Bruce and Mark. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Whenever uh, I hear an introduction like that, I think I should be seven feet tall. And instead, <laughs> I'm my usual five foot four. <laughs> What's exciting? This book, I hear, marks your 30th anniversary of your food writing debut. Yeah. And that's that alone is just an amazing accomplishment. Remarkable, to, right? It oh, is. I mean, to stay so active and stay so popular and relevant for 30 years. It's congratulations. That is, um, I'm two thirds of the way there, but you're my inspiration to keep going. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's, it's, of course it's, it, you know, it's work, but it's work that I love. Um, and I can't, there's nothing else I'd rather do. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to be able to do this work. So let me ask you about doing this work for so long, because I want to talk about how you keep it fresh and new and exciting. And in the new book, you write, can there really be something new when it comes to chocolate chip cookies? And then, of course, you answer it with yes. And so tell me something about it. I mean, how do you keep it new and exciting with something as ordinary as chocolate chip cookies. Okay, I'm going to go back to when I was working on Dory's cookies, because I discovered something that I'm sure a million people before me had discovered. It just took me a while. But I was working on Dory's cookies, which was, I forgot, 150, 200. It was a lot of recipes for cookies. And it seemed like such a good idea when I started. And then I actually had to work on it. I thought, oh, how am I ever going to come up with so many cookie recipes? Cookies are cookies are cookies. And I discovered 
that first of all, that's not at all true. But I discovered that the more you focus on something, something narrow, the broader your view becomes because you're really concentrating on a subject. And I could have, if my deadline didn't, you know, arrive, I could have gone on and on with cookies. And it's, I find that with food, there's always something, particularly with baking, but there's an ingredient that you look at and think, oh, I wonder what that would be like with coriander. Mm. Oh, I've never thought of putting coconut in with cherries. I'm, I'm not making this up, but you start thinking about combinations. Um, of course, with COVID, I didn't travel, but travel is always a great inspiration for me. Seeing what other people are are baking. Um, I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Paris, but it's what I think about 24-7. <laughs> It's yeah. right. And when when I was thinking about chocolate chip cookies, you know, my my classic chocolate chip cookie is based as I think all of our chocolate chip cookies are on the Tall House cookie. But you start playing with the proportions. You start thinking about the texture. You want a little bit more brown sugar. Maybe you don't want spice. Maybe you want to change up the chocolate. There's always something in a recipe that can inspire the next recipe. It's really nice when your work can be so varied within even a single subject that you really start to inspire yourself. I think that when you reach that point, you know you've you've delved so deeply into a subject. That's really wonderful. It feels exciting. And um, after all of these years, to, as I said, I feel lucky. After all of these years to still be able to get excited about what I'm doing is pretty great. It's fantastic. So some of your books were inspired by your life in Paris. And this book is a little more American. I think it's really approachable to an American audience, especially now, you know, still in the pandemic, people are looking for comforting, easy recipes. And you offer so much of that. I love that the book starts with these wonderfully simple breads. Just they're the, like one of the first pictures in the book is my morning toast, you know, with a little jam. And mm -hmm. to me, there's nothing more comforting than that. And to be able to offer like the perfect everyday toasting bread is, is so, it's really something that I want. Thank you. You know, it's funny you say every day. And I um, was thinking about certain recipes and that bread was one of them as daily recipes. So yes, like that, but you know, this book, it's the, first kind of all-purpose baking book that I've done since Baking From My Home to Yours, which was published in 2006. And I think of this book as a morning to midnight book. You can bake through the day. And I was so happy to have a place to do breakfast baking because I love that. What I liked also about what you did in the the simple breads so that you started to use more interesting grains than yeah. just wheat in this book. And I want to talk a bit about that, like your iced honey apple scones with spelt. I mean, that's totally original. Why spelt in that particular recipe? You know, I bought a bunch of, of grains. I mean, it's very exciting that I can go to a, an ordinary supermarket. I mean, I I shop and stop and shop in the big Y um, because I'm living in um, a small town in Connecticut. And, and to be able to go to the store and find so many different grains. And I 
bought a bunch of them and I started to play with them because I really didn't have experience with them. And spelt is an easy brain, but there's a, there's a, a kind of sweetness with spelt. Um, I love, and which I didn't use before, I've been using some um, more rye than I did before for that kind of grounded, earthy flavor. And, you know, we were talking about how can you make a change in a classic recipe? One way to do that is to start playing with different grains and see what they do to texture, what they do to flavor, what they do to color. Like, I love the way rye turns something just, I mean, gray sounds like such an unappealing color, but it can be very pretty how whole wheat or, or wheat germ or bran leaves those little flakes. They're small changes, but um, but they're exciting. They are. And they add, they add a visual appeal that you know, we all know is so important. So they they do subtly change flavor, but even more dramatically, as you say, I think they change the appearance. And you could do that in really sexy ways that make something simple, super extraordinary. Simple is simple is my middle name. And um, I don't decorate very much. I don't frost very much. My food and certainly my baking is very, very simple. And so I like to rely, I do rely on the beauty of the ingredients, on the shape of something, on the color of, you know, a golden brown or a dark brown or a caramel brown. But I've, I've come to embrace brown as a beautiful color. Um, so I think that the, the natural beauty of what we bake shines. I couldn't agree more. You know, Mark and I used to always say, you know, undue fussiness doesn't get the dinner on the table and it doesn't get you know toast on your plate in the morning <laughs> and it's important to keep it exciting and to keep it beautiful but to keep it simple so even though your recipes satisfy an american palate in uh baking with dory sweet salty and simple um you do still take some inspiration from travel even though travel's been so limited I mean, for instance, tell me a little bit about the Lisbon chocolate cake. I'm always inspired by travel. So the cover cake is the Lisbon chocolate cake. And well, it's, actually, it's a great example of something very simple being beautiful because of the ingredients. It's brown. So the base layer is almost like a brownie. It's a dense chocolate cake. And then there's a whipped chocolate ganache, which is just heavy cream and, and chocolate. And you put it in the refrigerator and you turn it um, every 10 minutes or so until you can beat it and spread it. And then there's a third element. It's cocoa. It's just cocoa powder on top of it. But it's actually a real component of the dessert. I, I think this is so beautiful. And I was so excited when it was chosen for the, the cover. But I was in Lisbon with my husband, Michael. And it was a short trip and we were leaving town. And just before we left, we went to a cafe that served coffee, tea, and a chocolate cake. It was the only, that was it on the menu, coffee, wow. tea, this chocolate cake. And we came in just as it was opening and they just had boxes and boxes and boxes. They had just delivered them of this cake. And I tasted it and I loved it. And I took a quick picture of it. And I didn't have time to talk to anybody about it. And we flew back to Paris and I started working on the cake immediately because I knew that I just, I had it in my, I had it in my mind. I was so sorry I didn't buy one to take back with me. 
and I wanted this cake. I also happened to have gotten pickpocketed in Lisbon. Oh, no. You, you lost your wallet, but you got a great cake. And this is the way I think about it. This cake made the experience of, of that of being pickpocketed you know, disappear. And when I think of Lisbon, I now think of chocolate cake. Dory, you've covered pies and tarts in previous books. And your new book, you offer a few that just made my mouth water. Um, Cocoa Cranberry Linzer. Here you're, you're combining flavors that some people might not think about putting together, cocoa, chocolates, cranberry, as opposed to the raspberry, and plus a traditional Linzer doesn't even have the chocolate. So how did that one come about? Again, this is a case of you know playing around with something. I love Linzer tarts. I loved them as a kid. It was a big treat. My, my mother didn't cook and she certainly didn't bake, but she knew how to shop at a good bakery. <laughs> so she was very talented that way. Um, and so when she would bring back Linzer, that would be a, a great treat. And so it's always been um, a favorite of mine. So this has the traditional nuts in the, in the crust. And it does have some raspberry. It's got raspberry jam mixed in with the, the cranberries. But I loved the idea of making the filling just a little tartar or mm. tart. What do we say? Tart? A little more sour, a little more tart. Well, the, the cranberries, of course, as everyone knows, they are very tart. And I love the blending with the raspberry because you're going to add a tartness. You're going to add a complex level of flavor. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, you're going to add a texture that is going to be crazy. Thank you. That was such a great description. Um, so it has all of that. I sometimes put pink peppercorns in there. Not everybody loves them, but it's just a nice pop, um, yep. just crushed between fingers. And then also sometimes fresh raspberries in there. So you have the cooked cranberries, you have the jam, you have the fresh raspberries and chocolate. And I go off and on about the 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 combination of chocolate and raspberry. It seems so popular and so usual and so expected. And yet I think it's kind of a difficult combination. You have, depending on the chocolate, it can be a little acidic and the raspberries are a little acidic. And But when you get it right, it's so good. I think this one's right. Fabulous recipe. So another recipe that I think Americans have learned to love in the last couple of years are Bakewell tarts. And that of course is thanks to the Great British Baking Show, because before that, I don't think any of us on this side of the Atlantic knew what they were. So tell me about Steph's Bakewell tart. So I didn't know about the Bakewell tart. I had, I mean, I had heard it. I'd heard the word. I hadn't seen it on the Great British Bake Off. And um, I just, I just didn't know. And I had invited Steph Johnson and um, her husband and her two daughters and their boyfriends to come for dinner. And when Steph arrived, the girls were already there. Both of them said, mom's brought the Bakewell. And I was just so intrigued. And this recipe is actually um, Steph's mother's recipe. Her mom um, had a pub in England. I said, Steph, did your mom love cooking? She said, well, not that much, <laughs> but that was her job and she did it. I said, what about the Bakewell tart? Steph said she only made it for family. It was so special 
that she wouldn't make it for the pub. It was only for her family. And so the family knew that this tart was just for them. And so I was very touched that Steph had brought it um, for us. And then I discovered that I love it. It is so delicious. Well, there's a simplicity to the Bakewell. So simple, but it's also, it's that, once again, that balance. So you have the crust and then you have the, you know, you have jam, you have the sponge, the cake. And I discovered that there's differences of opinion, strong differences of opinion. Some people like the the white icing. Some people say it's not traditional. Some people like almonds on top. Some people say it's not traditional. And so I stayed out of the controversy by putting both on the tart. You know, the thing about Bakewell is that they can be too sweet and yours isn't. And it, it again, you've reached a balance mm-hmm. of flavor and sweetness that just works so well. But sweet is one thing. What I like about really like about your recipes in this book is that you attack savory, not only at the beginning with the everyday breads, but at the end of the book, you go savory. And it's a beautiful thing. I think my favorite recipe that you put in there is the vegetable ribbon tart. (laughs) You described it as fridge fancy. Describe that because it's just, I think that is a spectacular recipe. Thank you. So the fridge fancy um, vegetable ribbon tart, the, the balance of effort to beauty is very little effort, a lot of beauty and satisfaction. It's a, a rectangular tart that's made with store-bought puff pastry. I mean, you can make your own, but I didn't. <laughs> um, you score you score, you make like a picture frame. So you score the center and you bake it and you have a puffed frame and then you fill it. So you can fill it with hummus. You can fill it with tzatziki. You can fill it with any kind of a creamy, I mean, you could even, you could put ricotta there or even cream cheese. And then it's a, it's like a salad. It's a bunch of beautiful vegetables put on top of the filling and herbs. And there you go. Some hard boiled eggs. And it makes it makes it a complete dish. It is beautiful. And it is almost a salad. And yet it's a bake and it can be a lovely brunch dish. I would eat that for I would eat that for dinner with, a, with just a glass of red wine. I would join you the, for the photograph. <laughs> I mean, your food styling is gorgeous. But the the eggs you have um, a couple of, and I don't want to use the word hard-boiled eggs because they're done so perfectly where the yolks are still sort of a little gelatinous and not hard. It's perfect. There's just absolute perfection in that photo and I think perfection in that recipe. I think there's a lot of perfection in this book, in your new book, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. It's out in October. We could pre-order it now. Um, Dory, thank you so much for being on Cooking with Bruce and Mark. <laughs> you for inviting me and um it's just it's been great to talk to you thank you that was unbelievable i can't believe that dory greenspan came on this podcast that's just fabulous she was so much fun yes thanks dory thanks so much for being a part of what happened and now we're moving on to our last segment Segment four, as we do every episode, what is making us happy in food this week? You go first. Oh, I'm up. Okay, I'll tell you what. Sausages on the grill. People forget 
that you can grill sausage often. And the summer's up. Grilling's here. We're kind of running out of summer, but we're still here in summer. And you know what? I love sausages on the grill more than I can almost say. And you're not talking like smoked brats. You're talking about like raw sausages. Because you you've got s- some amazing lamb sausages and some chicken I do. tequila I, sausages. We have a little grocery store up uh, over the border in Massachusetts from us, and they sell uh, great handmade sausages. They sell chicken, uh, chicken chipotle lime mm. sausage and turkey cranberry sausage. Honestly, the, I, I think that sausages on the grill are just a spectacular thing because they get – this gorgeous flavor to them. They get nice and hot. A lot of the, the fat runs off. And they are so unbelievably tasty, especially if you grill them with some peppers or some onion slices. Just fabulous. Eat them with some sliced summer tomatoes. That's mm. dinner. It's perfect. It is a perfect thing, sausage on the grill. Okay, what's yours? What's making me happy is so simple. Blueberries. <laughs> You know, Mark had talked in a previous summer episode about corn. Well, for me, it's blueberries. And what? here's the thing. When I was a kid... Not even just a kid. Until I was about in my 30s, I hated blueberries. I can't. Who hates blueberries? I that's, thought they were tasteless. That's like I hating thought, the sun. I thought they were disgusting. Okay, I don't know. There was something about blueberries. And now. I think I dated some guys who hated the sun, actually. <laughs> anyway, okay, go on. And so now we live in a house with gardens, and Mark planted blueberry bushes. I did. And here's the thing I didn't realize about blueberries. And duh, I'm a food professional. I should have known this before Mark started planting them 10 years ago. Different bushes put off different kinds of blueberries, right? <laughs> Just like apples, not every apple tree is the same. You get green apples and red apples. It's and so sorrows. obvious. But Go it on. wasn't obvious to me. A blueberry was a blueberry. So we have five blueberry bushes and we have three varietals of blueberries. Mm-hmm. And we some do. of them are bigger and fatter and sweeter. Some of them are smaller and more tart. And I have fallen in love with it. And we get so many off of our five bushes. I've already gotten like, I don't know, eight pounds. Yeah, Bruce even made. had enough that he made a batch of blueberry chutney mm-hmm. with them. And I have to tell you that we have two collies. And one of our collies <laughs> lo- goes out and with his front teeth picks off the ripe blueberries one by one that are near the ground. It irritates the crap out of me because I'm growing he these for He loves us. blueberries. But he goes out and just uses his very front teeth to just carefully pull off the ripe ones one by one that are nearest to the (laughs) (laughs) blueberries i love they're also my dog's favorite thing this week yeah they are making him happy all of our favorite things so that's our show cooking bruce and mark thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for being a part of it i hope that we gave you some relevant information i hope we gave you some interesting facts i hope we gave you some interesting dory along the way (laughs) and we hope that you'll come back subscribe rate this podcast drop right down there to the bottom of the google or the Apple pages, you can rate it. You can't do it on Spotify, but you can do it on other things. Rate it, drop a comment. That would be fabulous. And we will see you in another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.